Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. Your college football latest with Danny Cannell, brought to you by Bet Online. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline from Sirius XM. He has a show where he talks football and more. Danny Cannell joins me. Would you agree on everything I just said regarding that Earth, Wind, and Fire song? It's got to be up there, right? Um, I know the trend, the Fleetwood Mac trend when Dreams came back, you know, with the viral video, that was a pretty strong one. But September always puts you in a good mood. I'm just mad at myself because I didn't play it on my radio show today. Now I'm kind of bummed. Now I played it on the first day of September, but it wasn't the 21st of September. So I think it was a massive missed opportunity on my end. Let me tell you this. I'm going to have... My producer, Kyle, give you my cell phone number. And right. when you're thinking about re-entry songs, just ask me. I do um, I do this during the week, and then on Saturday night, Danny, I, I come on, and on B105.7, next door, I do something called the Jam V Takeover, where it is an all-request show for six hours. All I do is play request calls, and most of which comes from the 80s and the 70s. We go a lot 90s sometimes, too. But it is, let me tell you this, it is glorious. And it is is a piece of radio that you never hear anymore. You never Mm. hear it. And it is fantastic. It really helps me. It helps me kind of connect and relate even more with this show as well. So you can tell your friends at SiriusXM if they want something, all request, to go nationwide as you do every single afternoon and talk sports, then I'm the guy for them. I can give them kind of what what they would call a a, a jack format of a, a three different decades of all request stuff if they want it. So give I them a heads it. up. I, yeah, I love the take. I don't know if it's accurate though. I'm looking at a top list of songs of the '70s. Uh-huh. September by Earth, Wind, and Fire checks in at 11. Uh huh. What, what's, the, what's, Led, the, what's Led the top Zeppelin three? is 10. Oh, top three yeah. are Moon Age Daydream, David Bowie, Dreams by Fleetwood Mac, and Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen is your number one best song of the 70s, according yeah. to this random, I don't know who the heck's website this is. Well, here's the, here's the, yeah, exactly. Here's the problem <laughs> with the Bohemian Rhapsody. I think it's charted in like three different decades, so it's not just yeah. the 70s any longer. My top three, and I think this is pretty good, my top three would be Ebony Eyes by the late, great Bob Welch at number three. September by Earth, Wind, and Fire at number two. And number one will always be Jerry Rafferty and Baker Street. There's your top three of the 1970s right there. I like it. That still sounds good list to me. <laughs> I'll, I'll endorse it without doing much research. Hey, speaking of the, the – yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Danny Cannell joins us from Sirius XM via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So it, I want to get back to a couple of things. I want to get to some NFL takes that you might have coming up in a minute too. College football-wise, we heard about you know adding teams for the playoff – and I haven't heard your take about this yet. Do you like that idea? Does it water down the product? What what feeling do you have as we move forward with that idea in mind? I love it. Give me more postseason meaningful college football games. I, and, yeah, it, does it water it down potentially? But give me the trade-off for on-campus potentially playoff games. When already, like, what's the alternative? So if we add, you know, a few more games, are we going to have players opting out of playoff games? No way. But we're seeing playoff, uh, you know, Rose Bowl. We saw Ohio State Buckeyes opt out of the Rose Bowl because it was a, quote, meaningless game because there wasn't anything at stake. So if we can get players from those programs to stay around and play in games because they're playoff and you're actually playing for a championship, then absolutely give me more of those. And you know what I think? Because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of critics. I don't understand why, of either keeping it at four or even go back to two, which is like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But it's going to enhance the regular season. It's not going to diminish the regular season. It's going to enhance it, especially in the. I know we're in September. They should make a college football song called November, which is the the month of the season, uh, which now is pretty much irrelevant. There's only a handful of games that matter. Because we already know, like, the six teams that have a chance to be the final four. If we open it up to 12 teams in the playoff, all of a sudden you'll have 25 to 30 teams potentially playing for, you know, conference championships, for divisional championships, for playoff spots. And that makes the month of of November 
that much more compelling where it's an afterthought for a lot of programs now. Uh, Danny Cannell joins us from Sirius XM. He has an afternoon radio show there. He hits the masses every single day, Monday through Friday. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Clearly, Georgia and Alabama, even with Alabama's close call with Texas, uh, they are head and shoulders above. I look at number four right now in Michigan, and you talk about a team that's unbeaten that you don't know anything about that's highly ranked because of the teams in which they have beaten so far. You you think you know anything about Harbaugh's Wolverines to this point? I know they can blow out cupcakes. I mean, that's exactly what we've seen. Now, if you're going to schedule cupcakes, at least do that. And Michigan has been so impressive, but it is hard, and you don't feel like you know what you're going to get. And you know what's allowed Jim Harbaugh to do? It's, about, it's allowed him to conveniently make a change at quarterback based off a guy who bought them you know, a Big Ten championship, got them an appearance in the playoffs, and I know it wasn't what they want, but the, you know, the easy schedule allowed him to evaluate both quarterbacks as starters. And he goes with J.J. McCarthy. And I know Cade McNamara was hurt this past week, and he's out. But the plan all along was to make that transition. I think they're better at quarterback this year. It still remains to be seen if they're as dominant as they were last year on the defensive side of the ball. But there can be an incredible value in winning games early, coming out the way they have. And they still, they're a heavy favorite against Maryland this weekend. Their schedule looks like it's setting up where they should be undefeated heading to Columbus at the shoe on that, you know, November, you know, Thanksgiving weekend, rivalry weekend, where you could see a couple of undefeateds in the Big Ten once again playing for potentially a playoff berth. And I think the Michigan Wolverines will be right in the thick of that conversation. Danny, I look at this because it's relatable with Oklahoma and USC, with Brett Venables, with Lincoln Riley. Which team with their coach, with this relatable, with this connection, has been most impressive to you out of those two so far? I think they've both been awesome. But I think you have to give the nod to Lincoln Riley because of where USC was. Like, Brent Venables take over a pretty smooth running machine. And I know it wasn't the year before he took over, but they had six straight Big 12 championships, the Sooners did, before the last season where they still had double-digit wins. And then Brent Venables takes them over. So Brent Venables inherited a very healthy program that, you know, that's why it was so surprising that Lincoln Riley left. They were knocking on the door of the championships and you know making playoff appearances and that was why it was so perplexing to Oklahoma fans why would he leave us well you know sunshine will do that and a hefty payday will do that too 100 plus million reasons why Lincoln Riley decided to go out west but he inherited a team that was four and eight that was falling off the rails a program which feels like it hasn't been relevant in quite some time and for him already and I know it's early and I'm not saying they make the playoff yet and I was hesitant to crown them as, you know, Pac-12 contenders early this season. But after three really impressive victories early this season, the off the offense has delivered on everything we thought it would be with Caleb Williams, the transfer going with him, Jordan Addison from Pitt, the best receiver in the country going with him. You know, all the talent he has in the offense, we've gotten what expected. But the defense to me has been the one thing that's been most surprising. So I'll say Lincoln Riley has the edge and which one's been most impressive because of the turnaround he had to do out there in L.A. That's a good call. Danny Cannell joins us from SiriusXM via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Give me your realistic view out of the SEC at this Kentucky football team, Danny. Uh, I think Kentucky is, is a battle right now between them and Tennessee to see who's the battle for second. You know, I mean, uh, you'd be crazy to say, hey, they're you know the, the same page as Georgia. Georgia's on a territory all by themselves, maybe in the entirety of college football, and that includes Alabama with some of the blemishes they've been showing. But I think it's a testament to the job that Mark Stoops has done at Kentucky. I mean, he's built a perennial winner at a program where going to a bowl was a reason to have a parade you know, in Lexington. And now all of a sudden you're getting – eight, nine, and ten win seasons. And, and here's a perfect example. They're, you know, I don't even know if you call it a rivalry. They played the Florida Gators and lost 32 straight times as a program. Since Mark Stoops has been there, they've won twice and three out of the last four. It is remarkable the job he's done to be able to turn that program around. A basketball school, don't tell him that. He will get very upset about it. But it is what it, it, is, what it is. It is a basketball school. 
that he has turned into a bas- uh, a football powerhouse there in the SEC, which is pretty remarkable. Hey, Danny, before we move on to a couple of NFL notes, I, I want to ask you one final college football question. If you were going to gauge, for example, the top 25 and just eyeballing this right now, or just performances from teams that are the most surprising uh, slash uplifting, impressive, who would be on that particular list? I'll give you a great example. I, I put Washington on it. So far, and I don't know if that's because of most of that performance, you know, with Michael Penix Jr. and and obviously a lot of those guys last weekend and how well they performed offensively. I would put the Huskies on there. Who would you put on a list of one, two, or three in the surprise impressive category? All right, I got two teams, and they're actually playing against each other this week. And, you know, it's funny we're talking about basketball schools because they are a couple of basketball schools. They're not in the top 25. They probably should be, especially the Kansas Jayhawks. Now, let me tell you the story of the Kansas Jayhawks. They have been a dumpster fire, the worst program in all of college football for about the past decade. They fired Les Miles after spring football. They bring in Lance Leipold, who used to dominate Division Three at Wisconsin-Whitewater. Then he went to Buffalo, turned them around into a winner. Then he takes over Kansas, which we all thought in the, you know, the college football business Analysts thought, oh, this is going to take five years or more to turn this around. And, you know, you'll be lucky to really get a few wins. Their win total was two and a half this year. They've already gone over. They've already got three wins. They're three and oh to start the season out in Kansas. Jalen Daniels, their quarterback, is a really exciting story to watch. It's completely off the radar. But what Lance Leipold has done with two power five wins, too. They're not cupcakes. They went to West Virginia and to Houston and beat both of those programs. And guess who they're playing against this weekend? 3-0 Duke. So you have 3-0 Kansas playing 3-0 Duke this weekend. Mike Elko is a former defensive coordinator who took over Duke. All of a sudden, he has them playing some of their best football that we've seen of late. So two highly unlikely. Like, if you would have said... What are the chances that Duke and Kansas are playing September you know, 24th and they're undefeated? You could have got massive long shot odds that that would be the case. And yet here we are. Only that type of story happens in college football. So Danny Cannell is with us. I know primarily you, you do a lot of focus on college football, but just because you're a former player there with the Giants, your thoughts on that. And then around here. Um, I have been, I guess, preaching in the past two weeks a great deal of doom and gloom because Matt Ryan comes in at 37, supposedly gets a great offensive line, stuff that he didn't have, for example, with the Falcons a year ago, kind of a rebirth of a career of sorts here, and it has been nothing to that sort. It's been basically six and a half, seven quarters out of eight of awful football. So your thoughts on the ups of the Giants in a new era there and the downer that has been the Colts when they get Kansas City coming in their backyard on Sunday as the home opener. It is um, the Giants are a great story. Now their win total coming into the season was seven and a half, which, you know, you're talking about a team that's been one of the worst record wise since 2017 in the entire NFL Obviously, the odds makers knew what they were doing because here we are talking about a 2-0 Giants team. Now, I think it starts with a message that Brian Dayball sent in their week one upset over Tennessee. They were in Nashville playing the Titans, and they had a chance to go for overtime or they had a chance to go for the win. Dayball goes for two, gets it. Saquon Barkley takes it in. And, of course, that propels them into another victory against the Carolina Panthers. Love the confidence. I still am a little bit skeptical of it. Let's see if Daniel Jones continues to develop and see what happens. All right. The Indianapolis Colts, your guys' team. It could be worse. They could be 0-2, yeah, right? They're that's not, true. The, they could does, play in another division, too, and they didn't <laughs> yes. play in this clown show of a division, yeah. Yes, but it does feel like they're 0-2. I totally get that. And thankfully, Lovey Smith decided to play for the tie, or else they might be if he had decided to go for it and actually been out there. But here's what I'll say. I liked the hiring or the, you know, the signing of Matt Ryan and what feels like a let's bring in the latest veteran quarterback and just give him a shot here with our team as they've been through a few of these over the last few years. But I thought Matt Ryan would have some more, you know, tread on those tires. And I still think he does, but they have to do what they did against Houston, which for some reason they got away from this past weekend. And you ask Matt Ryan to go out there and win the game on his back. And then he's going to throw three interceptions and it kind of snowballs against you. They've got to get Jonathan Taylor going. That's what Frank Reich wants to do. It was a little bit perplexing and his credit. He took ownership of it, but I still think in this division, which you do have a chance, 
to fight your way back in, you could find yourself in the playoffs once it's all said and done. So I would be patient. Chiefs, who knows? Maybe they come in. They're cocky. You know, they, they're off to an, a 2-0 and start. It is the NFL. I know the Chiefs are favorites, but anything could happen. And I'll remind you, teams that started 0-2 last year, I'm sure you guys are aware of this, Indianapolis was the only team that finished over 500 last year with 9-8. and eight. So maybe they can call their way back just like they did last season. We'll have to see how this thing plays out. I re- recalled uh, from our radio guy, Rick Venturi, a quote from over the weekend because, you know, when he was a, a coach, a defensive coordinator, whatever, as well in the NFL, he said when you had a really bad loss like that, it was always good from he and his mentor and the coaches he was with standpoint that you immediately jump back in with a team like Kansas City because that can really show you where you are and if you get destroyed in that game, it can absolutely show you where you aren't and maybe not read. So how much of a gauge and how much of a good gauge you think having one of the best teams in the NFL as your home opener is with the Chiefs on Sunday for the Colts? It's a great gauge. I mean, you really do always want to see how you stack up against the very best that the league has to offer. And it doesn't get much better right now than Patrick Mahomes uh, and the Chiefs and what they're doing. And if you look at if there is a recipe to beat the Chiefs, I do think the Colts have it because you want to try to run the football. The best defense for Patrick Mahomes is to try to keep it out of his hands, to control the time of possession, to not allow him to get those big plays. And there is a recipe of sorts to keep everybody in front of you, to not give up the big play, to make sure that they're driving the length of the field. And I think the Colts can force their hand a little bit, test Patrick Mahomes' patience, and they'll be able to move the ball on the ground versus this Kansas City defense. So I agree with you. I think you're going to get the very best effort out of the Colts And there is this natural tendency, even when you're the Chiefs, who do look more beatable. I mean, you could say they could have lost, should have lost to the Chargers on that Thursday night game last week. But there is every single week, it's parity across the NFL. It's not like college when you get a heavy favorite. I actually like the Colts there as a home dog. They're about, what, a touchdown, just under a touchdown? Yes, I actually kind of like the Colts with the points in that game. Now, they might not win it, but I love them with the points in that game. And who knows? But I think you're 100% right. You love to see how you stack up against the very best, and I think you'll get that out of the Colts this weekend. What other numbers do you like when you look across the board on week number three as we get ready to get into that tomorrow night? So from the, from the NFL standpoint, I love the Dolphins. I mean, and it goes to the human nature of the NFL. Now, both these teams have been told how great they are, but, man, we have already given the Bills the Super Bowl trophy. I mean, it feels that way uh, with their performance on Monday night. It was spectacular. But the Dolphins are – and I'm, I'm South Florida. So, like, I, I grew up a Miami Dolphins fan. You know, take it with a grain of salt. There might be some home team bias here. But they are playing with a confidence and a freeness that Mike McDaniel has brought in there that has them playing with a tremendous amount of confidence. And don't forget about the weather. The humidity in South Florida is real. When I go out to take my dog for a walk at 6 a.m., I come back, I'm sweating bullets. The Bills will not know what that's like when they come step off that plane. It will play a factor in that game. I like the Dolphins as a six-point dog playing at home this weekend against the Bills. I'll tell you what, last weekend, and I don't know if it was just me, but these wide receivers, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, um, you can – like we always wondered if Tua could be the guy – and he certainly can be the guy if he's going to be able to throw into a three-story wide window as that's what he has out there with these guys. That's how wide open they were last week against the Ravens most of the time. It's, you know, when you talk about young quarterbacks, and that's what we do all the time, it's the most position, the most important position in the game, you've got to have a support system. And that, to me, is why a lot of quarterbacks fail and they turn out to be bust is because the organization didn't give them a chance. The Dolphins have not only given Tua a chance, they've all of a sudden given him the keys to the Bentley. I mean, that's what he's got. The fastest wide receiving core, and I would even throw in Chase Edmonds in the backfield and Mike Gusecki at tight end. They've got weapons all over the place, and they went out and got the highest paid, you know, best available on the offensive line market, bringing in Teron Armstead to shore up the left side of that offensive line. Yeah. And then they, they signed a coach that was going to create a system around to his strength. 
That's how you build a franchise is by going and building around your young quarterback. And it looks like that's what the Dolphins have right now as the quarterback of the future in Tua. Oh, I said, when you think about that, and I've been screaming for wide receivers with the Colts. I like Michael Pittman Jr. a great deal, but it is incredibly thin after that. And it has been for a while. And then left tackle, you try Matthew Pryor and you draft Bernard Ryman. And, you know, he's he's a rookie who sat out of practice today because of an injury, and left tackle has been a, a, a situation for them so far. I just – yeah, it's uh, not been good. Not been good in terms of things that you knew you needed to do, needed to accomplish if you Chris Ballard in the offseason. And through two weeks, it doesn't look like you got much accomplished. Not at all. It's it's still early. Just be patient. You I'm know, trying. like it still could work. I like Chris <laughs> Ballard a lot. Uh, he's a friend of my co-host on Sirius, Dusty Dvorak. We've had him on the show. I like him, but he is under a, a, a lot of pressure, as every GM across the league is. And we'll see how this pans out. And I'm rooting for him. But I am I share some of your concern. Yeah. Let's see what happens against the Chiefs this weekend. All right. Danny Cannell, at Danny Cannell. You can find his work on Twitter. You can find him on SiriusXM. Are you doing a game this weekend, too, somewhere? I'm not. I'm back in studio with CBS Sports Network. Nice. So on Friday night, yeah, I'll be. Uh, you can check me out on CBS Sports Net in the studio around all the college football action. And uh, you know, make sure you tell your serious XM bosses that I got a I got a weekend show for them right here. Okay, just in case. <laughs> all right, you got it. I'll tell them. <laughs> all right, Danny, appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on. All right, have a good one. It's uh, Danny Cannell on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline right there. That was completely not where I was going with this to bring on Kevin Bowen in the morning show, 7 until 10 a.m., opening up the door wherever he is right now via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I brought you in with players' baby come back for baby Max, who was born a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations to the addition to the family. I couldn't really find – Maxwell was a uh, – uh, artist back uh, late in the decade of the 90s i could have brought that in i don't know if that would have been recognizable so i just kind of went with the same old baby routine with you so anka's got no max stuff that you could pull out of the catalog there? yeah i mean i not really there wasn't there wasn't too much there I, I need to keep it a little bit recognizable like maxwell well, maxwell was an r&b artist Back, I think, in the late mid to late 90s, maybe early 2000s, I could have brought that up. I don't know how much of the listening audience would have gotten it. So, Our other boy name was Connor. Would that have helped you out at all? Connor. No. No. Uh, it wouldn't have. No. Yeah. What do you, what do you think, think of when you think of the name Connor? What comes to mind immediately? Well, right away, I think of the pub and Broad Ripple. Okay. Um, I think of Roseanne and, and the television show. The Connors. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's not. Yeah. That's not super. Or relevant. Jimmy yeah, Connors. I when I when I had yeah. an ass to it, I think of I Jimmy think of Connors. Jimmy. Yeah. I think of Jimmy, and you know, not to like turn this into an American tennis rant, but I feel like my generation has kind of missed like fun American male tennis, and I feel like Jimmy Connors was that, was he not? Well, I'm telling you what, if when when Max gets old enough, give him a really sweet bowl haircut like Jimmy Connors had back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> i love bull hair <laughs> me too oh, me too I, listen yeah. I'm, i I would uh, i and i did i i watched eight is enough when i saw adam rich in that bull haircut i ran right out and said give me the adam rich just just not the drug just don't give me the drugs just give me the haircut <laughs> don't give me the, don't give me the addiction just give me the haircut I'm looking for you. Hey, I want to ask you something because it occurred to me when I came back, and I don't want to be hypocritical about it. Do you think that when you look at yourself in the mirror, you view yourself as better looking than you actually are? Oh, I look awful. I mean, do you just, do you say, are you honest with yourself enough to, because I look in the mirror and I go, I don't look too bad today. When in fact, I look freaking terrible. See, I'm the reverse. I think I look horrific when I look at myself in the mirror, and then I don't think <laughs> other people think I look that bad. Yeah. I, do, um, I think I people are holding back with me. I'm surprised people don't go, you know, what, you're really old and, and much fatter and uglier than I thought. I'm surprised. Yeah, people should surprised they hold back. Yeah. Some that just occurred to like me. To mention, some of my buddies like to mention that my hairline's kind of on life support. Um, we can help that out, brother. We can help that out. Yeah. I don't, and I, I believe you and I had a conversation I about that. I believe we can put the wheels um, in motion to help that. Yeah, that's something we can change. I, I mean, I could change, 
you know, I could change me up a little bit too because I've already done that, but we could change you up. We could turn yeah. you into an incredibly handsome man regardless of the reflection right there with a full head of hair. Well, I, I appreciate that and certainly want to um, hear more on that front. If, if you had a full I head of hair, think... if you had like your normal hair back when you were in junior high, for example, what haircut would you get? Oh, see, I, I never really grew it out that much. I mean, I, I was just giving it two all over. Okay. I, I just didn't want to worry about it. Like, I was just like, yeah, I'm good Do you think it. you're, you're, you're um, shortchanging, I think, the process if you go through this and get your real growing hair again and you stick that thing in the don- domain of a two every time? Well, yeah, trust me. Yeah. As soon as I met my wife, she was not having the old two guard right, all over right, anymore. Right. She, she wanted me to grow it out. Um, which I have, I mean, for me, this is, I mean, you, you, you knew me when I had my hair, you know, pretty high and tight, um, where now I, I grow it out a little bit more. I did have a YouTube commenter. This was probably a couple months ago that said, you know, I, I like the way Bowen looks. He looks like he likes beer and cheese. <laughs> I love cheese. <laughs> I do. I've loved cheese all my life. myself. I, I'm right there I, with I you with like cheese. Yeah, I like both of those things, and I'm thinking I, I'd like to think that's a compliment, but I think what he's just saying is on the YouTube stream, I've got you know, I, I got a couple chins rocking. Uh, well, uh, you know, I just I, I came to that conclusion just a moment ago about the reflection <laughs> and what I see compared to the reality of what others actually see. That's what I come up with. So was, was Frank Reich a little animated today? Did I see that accurately? I thought, and for anyone that will watch a Frank Reich press conference or even watch today's, which I think you can watch on Colts' YouTube page or Colts.com, and Frank Reich demeanor, I thought it was the most animated I've seen him in a Wednesday presser in quite some time. And I will caution everyone to say, in Frank Reich demeanor. I mean, okay, so this is still very, this is still very Disney G rated hardcore Frank Reich we're talking about here, right? Like, Frank Reich used the word pathetic on Friday. Oh. That would be like, or excuse me, on, on Sunday. That would be like you or I cussing seven straight cuss words. Um, he, he just doesn't do that. I thought today the message and the words aren't going to be, I think, what fans want to hear. It's very much of a, hey, you know, it's early in the season. We're going to stick to our process, like all of that. But I just thought, and I know I'm like going a little bit like body language therapist here. But I found him talking quicker, a little louder. I thought, you know, some gestures, some body language, just a little bit more animated. And I think some of it comes from the nature of the questions being asked, which a lot of it was challenging the state of the franchise and his football team right now. Um, And then, two, I, I would also just say probably him showing a little bit of human element, like, Anytime I think someone questions your operation or you're going through, I think it's fair to say this is the most adversity, certainly the most outside no noise, venom from fans, you know, hatred, disappointment, whatever you want to call it, easily the most of his tenure. You know, he brought up one in five in 2018. I mean, that was still the honeymoon period. That was year one. That was a new defense. That was Andrew Luck playing football for the first time in a year. This is different. Um, and I just think it was a natural human element to reacting to some of that. I mean, I, I find it hard-pressed how many teams face the Kansas City Chiefs in a season and the head coach go through a 15-minute press conference, and I don't know if anyone asked a single Chiefs question just because that's the reality of where things are at right now. To Kevin Bowen, the morning show via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, which I think leads me logically to ask you this. Do you think, and I'll concentrate on last Sunday, was that more, you think, of an indictment of the short-term and a game against the team that's had in that place and, you know, in London on the road, the Colts number, or was that more of an example of one organization being above the other now? And is that what we're looking at? Because that's the aspect. That's what concerns me. Because you're talking about Frank Reich talking quicker and, you know, being a little bit more um, animated than he has been. I, I thought 
from player to player last week and from him with a team that embarrassed this team and got Frank and Chris's asses in a sling as much as they did, the preparation and the focus and making this more than just a week two game against Jacksonville was lacking majorly. And I don't think that helped. Yeah, I think um, if you're a fan of the Jags right now, I think you feel better than if you're a fan of the Colts. And that's kind of crazy for me to say, you know, but I think there's a lot of truth behind it, particularly when you look at quarterback. And, you know, I think it's probably still too early just to crown like Doug Peterson has fixed everything there. But I do think they're in a much better state, certainly than they were last year. And you could probably go back to a couple of years prior to that when it just seems like there's been so much so much turmoil within their organization from like a general manager standpoint, ownership standpoint, obviously head coach as well. Um, And they've been searching for a quarterback really in in the history of their franchise, probably dating back to Byron Leftwich and uh, you know, right around that time. So, you know, this stuff I talked about on Monday, which is I think so alarming for me with this team right now, John, is it is not a one-off. It's not one game. This is not 24 to nothing on Sunday. This dates back to that Raiders game last season when everything to play for against an interim head coach in the Raiders and you blew that game for a chance to clinch a playoff berth as a touchdown favorite, then the next week in Jacksonville as a 14-point favorite, you get blown out there, and then you let that simmer for eight months, and the reaction week one is that and getting manhandled for three quarters, and then your reaction to that is the performance we saw on Sunday. That's alarming. And when you take it, you take those four games – to me, it's a four-game stretch that I don't know if I've seen. It that, that's forward. why I say this is different. I mean, people want to equate to, you know, the normalcy of Colts slow starts, Kev, and then them getting up off the floor and getting back into it. But that's why I view this as different because you've got six and a half quarters of the eight that have been dreadful and unwatchable. There's no redeeming quality whatsoever, honestly, in those six and a half quarters of the eight so far. And with that, I just logically think that is different than what we have seen, which I think makes the situation going into Sunday much different, where you just can't say, well, this is a team that gets up off the deck because it looks like a team that's discombobulated for a variety of reasons and maybe first and foremost because it was entirely completely overrated. That's the way that it looked through two weeks. Yeah, and I don't know, maybe I should eliminate last season, but when you go back there and you factor in, to me, it's three things. One, you factor in the expectations for the football team ending last year, starting this season. Expectations are high, certainly higher than their opponents in those games. Um, When you go Band-Aid, when you go short-term at quarterback, you bring on higher expectations because there's not rookie growing pains with your QB. There's not... 3-13 3-13 and 13 Manning's first year, 13-3 and three the next year. Whatever Jacksonville went through last year to what they're hoping will be a little bit different this year with Trevor Lawrence, you don't have that. Um, so I think expectations would be one. I think two would be, again, the opponents. I mean, yes, the Raiders last year, they were a good football team and you know made their way to the playoffs, but like they were you know, the Bills and the Chiefs. And then obviously Jacksonville, Houston, Jacksonville, the three other games in the stretch, that's the laughing stock of the NFL teams that drafted number one and number three this past April. Uh, and then how you played, it was not a field goal at the buzzer in Jacksonville last year. It was not a drop touchdown, you know, in the fourth quarter on Sunday that made the difference in the game. Um, if you combine it, I think it's 50 to 11. If I'm not mistaken, you were outscored in those two games. And again, for Houston, you were certainly handled for the better part of that, you know, first 60 minutes. Um, and, you know, the, the, the Raider game was a little bit more back and forth. I think when you factor in those three for me, John, that's where it is a little bit more alarming. And then you look at how the schedule now looks. I mean, if you look at, really, if you scan out on the rest of the schedule, I don't know if there's like a game where you're like, yep, the Colts will definitely win that game. I mean, one of the games I chalk up is like, pretty easy back in may i mean the giants are two and oh now <laughs> you know so even like that game or you know houston at home to end the year maybe that falls into it but when, when jacksonville comes here in a month they're gonna have plenty of you know confidence certainly both those tennessee games you know i think are probably coin flip games and then you take those out 
and it's Kansas City, and it's Denver, and then it's Philly, and, and, and the Raiders, and, you know, Pittsburgh's in there, and the Chargers are in there, and the Vikings are in there. But you got a lot of, I think, just tough games. These are two of your easier games. I heard you bring up earlier in the week, this was not the Rams and the Seahawks to start last season. This was two of the games you looked at on your schedule and thought, this is probably in the bottom five or six of the easiest games you'll have all year. Kevin Bowen joins us. The most alarming fact so far to me has been the so-called foundational pieces slash beliefs of the general manager, Chris Ballard, in what he's putting together and the massive failures we have seen with those foundations thus far. And I have I have made it clear how much I've been on this offensive line and especially going back to Sunday because I don't care. Um, it, we, I've talked about Chris Strasser, and I, I mentioned on Monday, if, if these guys like their positional coach, if they do, then you may want to start to bring this thing around and play better because he's not going to be around very much longer if you play like that again. That was awful. And from that group, I don't care if you or Kyle Udemark or me or whomever's coaching him, you should never, ever look like that. And that's what is so distressing. That's a foundational building block of Chris Ballard, and it was a massive failure on Sunday. Yeah, it's pretty alarming, John, when you sit here and you look at the core belief of Chris Ballard, which ranks number one on the list, and that is building the trenches. So the two position groups being the O-line and the D-line, and you can have an honest debate about which has looked worse through the first couple of weeks. Which are you more disappointed in, Um, O-line or D-line? The highest paid O-line in the NFL, yet the highest paid O-line in the NFL, and they decided to do something extremely unforeseen in the NFL and believing that Matt Pryor and or Bernard Ryman rotating a left tackle a day one starter yeah you you just frankly you don't see that Uh, Matt Pryor has little to no left tackle history in his NFL career and yet you felt comfortable either handing the keys to him or again in Ryman's case the third rounder and now Ryman's hurt but in Ryman's case the third rounder you never see teams ever start a third rounder at left tackle Um, and you flip over the D line and I could probably listen to people that could make an argument that the D-line would be more disappointing because it's a combination there of money and draft picks, and it's more of it. You know, the O-line, you really just kind of have your big three, Nelson, Kelly, and Braden Smith. The D-line, you've got Buckner, who you gave up the 13th pick for and gave him the $20 million annually on top of that. You paid, um, or drafted, I should say, guys like Tyquan Lewis and Ben Banigou and, you know, Kamoko Turr, I guess, is no longer here, but he would fall into that category. Um, certainly Dio Dangbo as a second-round pick. Quiddy Pay being a first-rounder. Yannick Ngakwe was a significant trade, something I thought would, would work out, and certainly he's looked nothing like the back of his baseball card through the first two games of the season. And outside of Grover Stewart, everyone else has just been a no-show. You've played eight quarters this season in the regulation. No sacks for that D-line. Against Jacksonville and Houston. I mean, not good offensive lines or not, you know, top flight offensive lines and two young quarterbacks as well. So I think when you factor all that in, again, the D-line, have they stopped the run? You know, sure. But the fact that you didn't even do anything to get Trevor Lawrence off his spot on Sunday, and I think it's such a cop-out when – The quick release. defensive. Yeah, I think that is such a I agree cop-out. with you. I do. And I wanted to look at this a little deeper because I thought that, and I'm like, all right, let's see if there's some evidence to back that up. Trevor Lawrence, I think, got the ball out um, the 11th quickest, I believe it was, of any quarterback in the league in week two. So 11th, you know, it certainly was getting the ball out decently quick, but it's not like he was getting it out, you know, at, at an absurd rate. But you had Joe Burrow getting it out extremely quick last week, and he was sacked six times. Aaron Rodgers getting the ball out quick. He was sacked, I think, three times. Uh, I believe Davis Mills fell in that category. Mitchell Trubisky fell in that category. And you touched Lawrence twice. And it wasn't even like, you know, you forced him to get out of the pocket. You, like, he didn't have to get off his spot. The only time he got out of the pocket, it seemed like it was just design stuff. And I'm thinking about that first and 20 that he hit Christian Kirk for a conversion on. Um, and when you talk disrupting timing, you talk about getting the ball out quick. You know, I kind of fell into the trap all off season long. You heard about press coverage and you heard about that. You know, that to me is where you can disrupt some timing. And I just don't think we've seen that. Clearly, we haven't seen it enough. 
And to the earlier point I was making about the opponents you're playing, well, again, look at the quarterbacks you played. Like, it, the, the, the quarterbacks on the schedule are about to look a bit different starting this Sunday. That, I think, adds to the concern of, yes, it's week three, but also the competition and the quarterbacks are about to be a lot different. So Kevin Bowen, the morning show, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Kevin's via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Honestly, I would love to bring up the argument of, I'll give you a great example, this year, Teron Armstead. From New Orleans to Miami at left tackle. I think he's injured right now, but maybe he plays on Sunday. Whatever. Um, The year prior, Charles Leno, that was an argument between both he and Eric Fisher and what they're doing. Uh, it seems like both of those would be better options right now, and I'd love to bring that up, Kev, but the problem is it's not just at left tackle. Ryan Kelly hasn't played at all well so far. Braden Smith looks like he did a year ago when he didn't play well. I mean, you've got issues with the high-dollar folks across the board on that offensive line, so it makes it really difficult just to concentrate on you know one aspect that clearly – for whatever reason, Chris Ballard failed to try to address adequately in the offseason. I think you focus – let's focus on less tackle here for just a second, John. And you obviously brought up free agent moves that they could have made. Um, I'll point more towards the draft in really just a very odd malpractice out of Ballard. Because let's go back to the core beliefs. The core belief is offensive line. And yet he – if you look at the tackle draft history for Ballard, he drafts Zach Banner in the fourth round, 2017. I think there's a lot of people that thought that was more of a Joe Philbin pick, whatever. Banner doesn't work out. 2018, you know, Braden Smith was drafted to be a guard, ends up working out at tackle. But that 2018 season, that was when Anthony Costanzo turned 30 years old. That was when he missed the first five games of the season with a hamstring injury. That, to me, internally would send a message of like, all right, here's a guy that's been really durable, he now just suffered, you know, a pretty notable injury. I mean, five games, that's about a third of the season he was sidelined for. We need to start looking at tackles a little. That position means too much in the NFL not to look at in the draft. Yet they go through the 2019 draft, and I think maybe a tackle in the seventh round. Then Costanza starts to flirt with retirement. Remember, he kind of dangled that carrot out there. That, to me, would be a major red flag because as much as we've talked about, obviously, Andrew Luck and the off-the-field stuff, Costanzo always had more off-the-field stuff that he was interested in and, you know, go to Silicon Valley every offseason. And, you know, to me, he screamed as a guy that was not going to be playing tackle as long as Andrew Whitworth, you know, just played tackle or somebody like that. Um, yet they go through that next draft, and they don't draft a tackle. Uh, then Costanzo does retire. You know, he, he re-signs on the two-year deal, and he only plays one of those years. And now you're kind of, you know, blank out of luck. And he doesn't draft a tackle again in 2021. And now you're drafting Bernard Ryman here. And it's just too much to expect a rookie tackle. Was it, wasn't uh, 2020, Kevin, wasn't 2021 where he suggested that he didn't think any of those left tackles coming out of that draft were actual NFL caliber left tackles. Was that it? I think so. You know, the debate was Quiddy Pay or Christian Darisau with yeah. that first pick. Right. Um, and I, I think Darisau went maybe the pick after. Um, it, and, you know, as much as, like, again, you can label that draft, John, like go back to the two prior. You know, if you draft a tackle, let's say you draft a third or fourth round tackle, let's say 2019, you know, it, it if that's the route that you take there, do you have a developmental tackle that can learn under Anthony Costanzo, who by all accounts was a great pro and a technician would be the exact person you would want someone to learn under. And then maybe you get to right here right now and you have a tackle in your system for a couple of years. You feel more comfortable about that guy instead of, Hey, yeah, Matt Pryor might let's change up his body. Let's take a guy that's played only really on the right side in his NFL career, flip him over to the left side, hope he can play tackle there. Or let's rely on a guy from, you know, Austria who's played tackle for two years in college at not the highest level and think that he could be a day one starter. And nothing against Ryman. It's, it's just a lot to ask for out of a rookie. So as much as we've talked about wide out and, you know, whatever, tight end and be very clear about that, to me, left tackle is the bigger question because it's such, again, Core belief for Ballard, wideout doesn't fall on that list. Offensive line does, and yet the thinking that Costanzo was just going to be here and be here and be here 
I mean, you saw it from Tart Glenn to Tony Hugo. That process was not as seamless, and it didn't work out again until Costanzo. They just made a big mistake in thinking Costanzo was going to play much longer and then believing that they could just replace him with kind of -of run-of-the-mill type of player. Kevin Bowens with us. Before I let you go, I I did want to ask you this because I'm assuming you're probably getting these types of questions too. I had mentioned that the real moment, I think, that would give – Jim Irsay pause to do something that he hasn't done during the season with his head coach would be 0-3-1. And and maybe maybe if you get roundly embarrassed with a house full of Chiefs fans on Sunday, maybe that process would be expedited even further with that level of embarrassment. I I do think, to me, it's more logical 0-3-1. I'm not suggesting that it's going to happen, but would you – think that maybe if it gets to that particular boiling point, we could go down a path and see something we haven't seen? Yeah, I probably would go a step further with that. And you obviously have a great pulse on it. Um, You know, I think in level of embarrassment for Jim, something happening in his own stadium is – is what needs to happen for him to do Well, I mean, something. when you get back-to-back, so, it, it, it's back-to-back opportunities. It'd be one thing. Right. Here's what we know, Kev. We know it's one thing with Kansas City. They're one of the better teams of the NFL. But if that happens against Tennessee, that's also been roundly embarrassed so far this year, a team that absolutely Jim wants to see his team beat, that's why I view that a little bit differently, I guess. And then – you know full well. I mean, he's talked about Tennessee every chance he's right. gotten the opportunity to this offseason and right. how pissed off he's been about them and, and what they've done with the division. Because, yeah, I think an element, he probably looks back at that 2018 hiring process and thinks, man, Mike Rabel was part of that hiring process. Yep. And there he is coaching Tennessee, and Frank Reich is here. Um, I, I have said a couple weeks past this, John, you know, what would happen, and maybe I'm looking too far down the road, but what would happen – I think it's the day before Halloween, if in your own building, national television, that it's, it's a 425 kick, if Carson Wentz came no, in here. No, yeah, play. there's no doubt about that. Yeah, that's that, – That, to yeah. me, is the one. And I, I don't know. Maybe I, I guess I look at it – Yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. There's no doubt, uh, especially considering the the recent that's, that's history. Yeah, but I I think that if if things – if people are really looking for something – that could get this started it would be these next two weeks that's what i'm looking at and then the other question i had um it does you you think that chris drosser keeps his job as the offensive line coach if they look anywhere near this week what they did last week in jacksonville he seems to be potentially next on the scapegoat that's exactly what i've said so that's the one i'm looking out for that's why i said on monday if you guys like this guy then you better play better because he's not going to be around. Yeah. A little bit of Pep Hamilton, Rob Shedzinski feel to it. Right. You know, back whatever that 2015 season, I think it was. Um, and obviously the assistant O-line coach being Kevin Mawai, an extremely decorated player. Yep. Um, so, you know, just a promotion with that. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, in this in your own building, though, like you said, a sea of red and yellow on Sunday – uh, that would be one. Obviously, the AFC South rival, if you can call it that, and what Tennessee. Uh, I mean, that's just going to be a massive game for you know the future of a division and a race to seven yeah. or eight wins. Uh, that would be uh, high up on that list as well. I can't imagine where we'd be right now conversationally if um, if this division wasn't the AFC South. And just, I mean, you could you can have Fubar throughout basically and still be within contention so that's that's really besides grover stewart jonathan taylor in week one michael pittman jr in week one those are the lone redeeming qualities of two weeks of this team so far that's it yeah i I always say it colts fans god bless the afc south it is a dream that this is the division that the colts play in um i think of your jim mercy and i I guess I'll just say him because I, I can't view Chris Bauer and Frank Reich in that light. If you're Jim Mercy, you have got to make sure that you don't let the mediocrity of the division cloud your thinking. Like you can't get there to the end of the year and be like, 
you know what? I mean, won a division title at eight, eight and one, and uh, you know, hosted a home playoff game. And you yeah, know, if you would like, if you had Carson goal. Wentz last year, they could have gone to the AFC title game, and they would have cut him loose. <laughs> so yeah, you viewed like right. that a year ago. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you got to make sure that that does not happen. All right. Hey, are you you happy this morning? I heard Chad tell you guys that Miles is going to be here to start the season. You guys throwing a party this morning? <laughs> 33? Um, Shout out to 33, uh, man. I can't wait for all the tweets coming at me. I'm excited, 33. You are less than a month away from I that. I, am, I mean this in all seriousness. I am very intrigued to see what Miles looks like with Tyree Talburton. Oh, you're going to love I, I it. I promise. I promise you're going to love it. We're going to be I rolling to the rack, scoring. Yeah. That element of making guys better around him. I thought at times the previous point guard a little bit too, just pound the ball into the ground. Um, no rebirth. Opportunity for hey. Miles. A great, great opportunity. <laughs> and the question then will become if he plays well, can you keep him? And does he want to stay here? And, and that's tough. Like, that's no and no. No and no. All season long. I'll say that. So no that and no. Did you trade him? <laughs> yes. Trade him by the deadline? Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's my call. I think he'd already been traded had they got what they wanted regarding that Laker deal. But, uh, no, I'm glad. Hey, listen, I'm glad. I can't wait. I'm seriously. I'm glad. I'm. I want to see him play a little bit more. But, hey, I got to run here. Congratulations on the addition to the family in Max, and uh, we'll see, we'll see it coming up. Hey, by the way, the uh, nine o'clock hour. You got to call me on Sunday morning. Remember that. Okay. Cool. 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 Yep. I got it. Take it easy, brother. Thanks, John. Kevin Bowen, right there. Uh, meantime, via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline, we welcome you back. And as a part of our tackling hair loss segment, PAI, we grow hair indie.com. Triple eight seven two four five one two nine. Former Colts offensive lineman Rick DeMulling is large and in charge on this Wednesday. My brother, how are you? Man, I am doing well. I appreciate you asking. How are you doing? I couldn't be better. Thank you very much. You'd be better if I didn't have to hang on. complain you can't like do any better. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't set the bar very high, Rick. Honestly, <laughs> Colts getting wiped out, and you can't be doing any better. I, uh, I don't set the bar very high. I was going to say that though, because I'm not one that wants to just continuously complain about stuff. But that basically, yep. to the effect of two weeks, Rick, is what I've been given. That's the plate that has been set is six and a half, seven quarters out of eight of just incredibly bad football thus far. Oh, it's been I, I I don't like criticizing, but it has been bad and it just they haven't shown up. I mean, I was talking to somebody earlier. If you would have told me I'm looking at the schedule, I'm like, All right, normally we come out the gate slow, but we have two games that we're gonna we're gonna be two and oh going into the Kansas City game and <laughs> and here we are like scratching our head like what's going on? And it I mean it just it looks bad. They all look out of sync. So Rick DeMulling again, brought to you by PAI, tackling her loss at 888 Rick via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I have, uh, in particular, been hardcore on the offensive line because they are the highest paid in the NFL. And I mentioned my bar that I set, but I set their bar the highest on this team. That is something that should not malfunction at all to the level that we witnessed on Sunday in Jacksonville, from what you saw from that group, there were a lot of twists going on defensively from the Jaguars. There's no doubt they have fast and athletic dudes. But from what you saw, was that more just a lack of individual play or was there a coaching aspect that you would call out in that situation as to why they looked so bad against the Jaguars on Sunday? Yeah, I think there was a lot of things at play here. One, I mean, if you notice, like Matt, Ryan did not look comfortable in the pocket whatsoever. I mean, a few times he just kind of laid down, right? He was trying to get out of the way when the pocket was actually good. Um, but I think it comes down to who who is he throwing to? Did anybody get open? Um, you know, nobody was getting open for him. So, I mean, I'm not putting the blame away from the offensive line at all because you're right. I mean, highest paid. They got some studs on that line, and they ought to be playing a lot at a much higher level than they are. Um I still think they're, it, feel, it seems like they're trying to feel each other out, which is kind of odd. They obviously got the new left tackle who's in there full-time now. The right guard is um, full-time. So it, it, it just looks out of sync, like they're just not comfortable just yet. 
Yeah, and see, that's one of those foundational pieces of the general manager, Chris Ballard, and what he created. And you're paying the left guard $20 million per. Um, and obviously, you, you got the, the left tackle situation has not been ideal. I saw where Bernard Ryman was not participating in practice and was sitting out with a brace on his knee today. I mean, at some point, you're probably looking at it instead of going rotational. If you're not believing in prior at all, then go ahead and yeah. stick the, the rookie in there at some point. But this play, I, I know that it was better in the opening week, Rick, down in Houston, but it still wasn't what we thought we were going to see. And I think that's kind of um, that, that's a frightening point. I think for you know a, a fan base that looks at this as Chris Ballard and his philosophy of building, and if that goes haywire at that level, that's problematic for so many other things on this team. Yeah, I, I agree. But I mean, we also have to like rewind and say it's only week going into week three. I don't think it'd be that big of a deal if it wasn't against the two opponents that you tied and lost to the the Texans and Jacksonville, right? Somebody was sitting there talking to me. He's like, yeah, well, you know, Tennessee is um, not doing well. It's like, well, they also played better teams. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it is problematic in regards to you rely on those guys. Those are the guys that have, they have been together for a while. So you would expect a lot more. And plus they got paid. You, you got to rise up to the occasion. And I haven't, broken down game film and looked at individual play but i mean you got to expect more from that group for sure well you, you bring i brought up quentin nelson and you got ryan kelly who at center also hasn't looked good you know, really consistently and he's been paid and you know Braden smith hasn't looked good and he's been paid you got a lot of guys there that have been paid and if you're the highest paid in the NFL, there's a, a level of play that, that you expect consistently each and every game. And it was as dismal as any, I thought, facet of the game for this Colts team against Jacksonville Sunday. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it was hard to watch. And I, I'm, I'm a very hopeful person. <laughs> I was holding that hope. All right, we're going to make – this drive is going to be the drive. This drive is going to be yeah. the drive. And it, and it kept just smacking me in my face like, nope, nope, nope. Um, but again, I mean, it's one of those things like I still have high hopes for this team. I truly do. I know that's hard to say after the losses of, especially against the opponents that they had, um, and the tie, but I think I have all the faith in Frank and Chris to, to make this thing right. Uh, I, although they, I've never even thought this before, but they are got to be getting closer to a leash right like in oh, yeah. well, I, th like, I think I'm, the head I'm, coach <laughs> i think the head coach is in the middle of it right now and to me yeah. it's it's listen it, it's, it's going to take it's going to take some doing uh to get jim mercy to do something during the yeah. season like that but i have suggested rick if this team would be so unfortunate to start zero three and one and especially if you lose to kansas city sunday you lose to tennessee here uh, a week from Sunday, that might push the cart fully down the path for the owner. I, I, I don't know if I would be tempting fate, for example, if I were the players and I liked my head coach and I wanted to play for him, I would certainly make sure that the, the effort that you see, the production that you see, and then the outcome that you also see the result is better because I, I think we're going down that path a little bit right now, even through two weeks with the disappointment level and the level of play we have seen from this team. No, I, I couldn't agree more. It's there is a lot of disappointment, um, but it's one of those things you can't make in a, a this big of a decision on emotion. I'm sure or the Ursays are like probably pretty livid, right? There's uh, no question yeah. with the way that they've come out and play. But I mean, this sounds weird, but history is on Frank's side in regards to like, okay, we've started out pretty bad a handful of years beginning, and we've turned it around. So. <clears throat> I think that gives him a little bit of more leeway, even if they start 0-3-1 and and like you were saying. I think that gives him a little bit more like, hey, I'll give you a little a half more season or whatever it is. But, yeah, it's starting to probably a little bit more pressure on him than normal to produce. Um, but knowing what the kind of guy that Frank is, he's just going to put his head down and grind and get things done the best way that he knows how. And I, that's what gives me faith in this team, that they have guys that will do that in the front office. 
Um, but, yeah, it's been hard to watch the last two weeks for sure. My former Colts offensive lineman Rick DeMulling, a part of the Tackling Hair Loss segment here this week. With PAI, we grow hair, Indy.com at 888 And Rick is via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. As a former player, I do want to ask you this because I heard Rick Venturi say this during the radio broadcast. He said, "It is, it is. you have a game like that, which was dreadful. Um, you like, um, as a coach, as a player, when you turn around and play one of the best in the NFL because that really shows you that what you're talking about and turning it around and what you're doing to turn it around, that really gives you a gauge of you're actually doing it because you're doing it against a good team. I don't know how many opportunities during your era of play because it was so successful you had to play off of a really bad loss like that. But was is there a lot of truth to that particular quote as far as dismal performances and then it being good to have a really good team in your house the next week? There is, but it all comes down to the leadership, not only in the coaching staff, but more importantly in that locker room. And I think that's where they excel at. They have great leadership there. Because when you're coming off a, like a loss and a tie like you did last two weeks, you're going to have guys chirping to get things going and pushing other people. And then you're adding on top of it, like you said, one of the best teams in the league. It's like double fuel, or it should be some double fuel for you to get going Maybe watch a little bit of extra film. Just focus a little bit more because I always loved Howard Munn. He would say, like, in the big games, big-time players make these big-time plays not by going doing something different, but by doing the little things consistently and making the game slow down. So if the, my concern would be, like, everybody's pressing to do too much. Do your job, stay your lane, and things will fall the way that they ought to fall. So Rick DeMulling right there, brought to you by our friends at PAI, tackling hair loss at 888 com. Am I going to see you at the Bullseye party coming up on yes. Sunday? Will you be there? I'll be there. What time are you rolling in? I'll be well, there. I'll be there at 9 a.m. <laughs> Probably be yeah. there before you, I imagine. Yeah. You get there a little early, but yeah, yeah. Um, I'll be there. I'd love to see you. And you got it, buddy. A free slider. You got it, man. I'll look for you there. And uh, it's good to have you back, man. It's too long. I hope everything's going okay with you and the fam and the business and everything. I tell you what, I'm a blessed man and God is good. Well done. Good to have you back, Rick. We'll do it again here soon. Sounds great. I appreciate it. Rick DeMulling right there, the former Colts offensive lineman brought to you by we grow hair indy.com at triple eight seven two four five one two nine tackling hair loss on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline.